Good afternoon, this is Pamela, and you are listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We are going to continue in our book reading of Billy Graham and his friends. This is part four. We're going to jump right into it. This book was written by Dr. Kathy Burns. Communism spread from pulpits. One communist, Carl Perugian, told how that, quote, Ward came to a cell meeting to which Perusin belonged and instructed him as a member of the party to enroll at the Union Theological Seminary so he could be ordained a Protestant minister. Perusin stated that the party subsequently decided to send him to San Francisco instead, but this experience impressed him with the technique the Communist Party was using in effort to infiltrate Protestant churches, unquote. Speaking at the Union Theological Seminary, Earl Browder, then head of the Communist Party in the USA, bragged, quote, You must be interested in knowing that we have preachers, preachers active in churches, who are members of the Communist Party. There are churches in the United States where the preachers preach communism from the pulpits, unquote. In spite of, or perhaps because of, Ward's communist affiliations, the National Council of Churches, which will be covered in Chapter 4, decided to celebrate his 90th birthday on October 15, 1953. On the letterhead, it was revealed, quote, that the committee was sponsored by 72 leading clergymen, 22 of whom were in leadership positions in the National Council of Churches. Now, each of one of these gentlemen, including Bishop C. Baker, Dr. John C. Bennett, Dr. Harold A. Bosley, Professor W. Russell Bowie, Bishop Matthew Clare, Jr., Bishop Fred Pierce, Corson, Bishop A. Raymond Grant, Professor Frederick C. Grant, Professor Paul L. Lehman, Bishop John Wesley Lord, Dr. John A. McKay, Dr. Benjamin E. Mays, Dr. Walter G. Mulliter, Bishop Marshall R. Reed, Reverend William Scarlett, Dr. Ralph W. Sockman, Reverend Alfred W. Swan, Dr. Henry P. Van Dusen, Bishop William J. Walls, Professor Leroy Walterman, Bishop O. Waterman, Bishop Lloyd C. Wick, knew the colorful, meaning communistic, background of Dr. Harry F. Ward, unquote. In fact, the worker, a communist paper here in America, wrote this about Ward's birthday party celebration. Quote, Dr. Ward is a link between the Christian socialist preachers of the late 19th century who sought to end the church's neutrality in the class struggle. He helped set up the American Civil Liberties Union in 1920. He became a firm advocate of friendship with the Soviet Union. We are going to be at Carnegie Hall this Tuesday evening, October 15th, to wish this grand man many more birthdays. We are sure we will see you there, unquote. G. Bromley Exnam one of Harry Ward's pulpits at the Union Theological Seminary was Bishop G. Bromley Axnam. Axnam authored a book titled Personalities in Social Reform, and he devotes several chapters in this book to what he calls social reformers. 
in chapter one the scholar as a social reformer he identifies the scholar as the husband and wife team of sydney and beatrice webb the fabian socialists of england chapter two is entitled the minister as social reformer the minister is identified as walter Ranch, let's see Rauschenbusch. Chapter 3 is entitled The Administrator as Social Reformer. The administrator is David L. Linethal, former head of the TVA. Chapter 4 is entitled The Saint as Social Reformer. And surprisingly enough, the saint turns out to be Mahanas Gandhi of India, who denied the deity of Christ. In Oxnam's book, Preaching in a Revolutionary Age, he told a story of a boy who hated the God of the Old Testament and called God a dirty bully. Oxnam then added, quote, We have long since rejected a conception of reconciliation associated historically with an ideal of deity that is loathsome. God, for us, cannot be brought thought of as an angry, awful, avenging being who, because of Adam's sin, must have his Shylockian pound of flesh. No wonder the honest boy in justifiable repugnance could say, dirty bully. Unquote. Of course, Oxnam had received the 33rd degree of masonry on September 28th, 1949. Additionally, he was connected to a multitude of left-wing activities. One author stated that his record of communist activities was only slightly shorter than the Manhattan telephone book. It would be difficult to find a communist front to which he didn't belong. He wrote several pro-communist books. Quote, in 1927, book entitled Russian Impressions, G. Bromley Exnam tells us it is fair to say that Soviet Russia has, an object, has the object of its collective endeavor, the creation of a new order, wherein all men, rendering service to the state, shall have a full and complete life. The objective is abundant living. Unquote. Oxnam testified before the Committee on Un-American Activities on July 21, 1953. He had then been asked about a pro-communistic book that he had sent out to 22,000 Methodist ministers, which he suggested that the ministers read. Along with the book was a statement issued by the Federal Council of Churches. In his testimony, he stated, Quote, I said that I thought if this book went out and ought to be accompanied by the statement, at least by the statement that was issued by the Federal Council of Churches of Christ in America on American-Soviet relations. I had chaired the committee that had drafted the statement. It is no secret, however, that it was written by Mr. John Foster Dulles. And we remember who Dulles is. In other words, the letter that was sent out with this pro-communistic book was written by John Foster's Dulles. Remember, this is the same John Foster Dulles who was instrumental in getting doors open for Billy Graham to hold a crusade in London in 1954 and who designated himself a Christian communist. Part of the letter stated, moreover, communism as an economic program for social reconstruction has points of contact with the social message of Christianity, as is avowed concern for the underprivileged and its insistence on racial equality. 
unquote. Walter Rashenbush in Axnam's book, Personalities and Social Reform, the minister was Walter Rashenbush. Rashenbush publications became the canon for the social gospel, and he became a highly sought speaker across the country. President Theodore Roosevelt consulted him on social policies, promising to borrow the good from socialism while leaving out the bad, unquote. Quote again, influenced by Rauschenbusch, Teddy Roosevelt denounced accumulated wealth as an affront to working people, unquote. Rauschenbusch replaced the Bible-based belief that man was individually responsible to God for his own salvation with a concept of social salvation, unquote. His ideas helped propel the formation in 1908 of the Federal Council of Churches, which was the forerunner to the National Council of Churches. The enormous alliance of churches that would gain prominence later in the century. It was Rauschenbusch who articulated and provided a theological foundation and rich intellectual tradition for the social concerns of communist Martin Luther King, and his condemnation of capitalism found fertile ground in a man like King." Unquote. James Cone, the father of black theology and a communist, was another one of King's friends. He is a professor at Union Theological Seminary. In 2000, he signed a declaration, the Religious Declaration on Sexual Morality, Justice, and Healing, sponsored by SIECUS, covered later in this chapter calling for same-sex uni same unions, ordination of homosexuals, and abortion rights. Now, this was in 2000 he signed that. As mentioned previously, Oxnam's teacher, Harry Ward, was the founder of the Communist Front Group called the Methodist Federation for Social Service. Oxnam was the vice president of this group. He was also one of the presiding officers of the National Council of Churches. Additionally, he was president of the American Federal Council of Churches from 1944 to 1946, as well as the first American president of the World Council of Churches from 1948 to 1954. Oxnam was one of the founders of Protestants and other Americans United for Separation of Church and State, of which he is a vice president. By the way, about 80% of the funding for the predecessor of America's United for Separation of Church and State came from Masons. Their address is the very same address as that of the Masonic Service Association. In fact, a former executive director, Dr. Glenn L. Archer, and a former associate director, Dr. C. Stanley Lowell, were both 33rd degree Masons. For more information on Masonry, see my book, Hidden Secrets of Masonry. Religious rights must be stopped. Americans United, AU, is against creation being taught in the classroom, and they are for abortions, contraceptions, and sex education. A letter received from Barry Lynn, the executive director of AU, declares, quote, 
Now, I'm asking you to join the Americans United as we prepare for a massive clash with the religious right. I don't know about you, but personally, I have seen enough, heard enough, and read enough about the powerful new political influence of the revamped religious right. There's no point in mincing words. They must be stopped, and the sooner the better. If the religious right prevails, they will destroy our wondrous American mosaic. They'll thumb their noses at pluralism and stifle diversity. They'll interject or inject their own moral code into personal lives. We cannot, must not let them do that. That's why I'm writing today to ask you, to urge you, really, to join Americans United and play a personal role in our battle against the religious right. Unquote. On Reformation Day, October 30, 1949, Oxnam gave an address at an interdenominational rally held at the ungodly New Age Cathedral of St. John the Divine. A Masonic publication, the New Age magazine, called this speech another one of Oxnam's masterly addresses. This meeting was sponsored by the Protestant Council of New York City. I think it is interesting to note that this is the same council who sponsored Billy Graham's Madison Square Garden Crusade just eight years later in 1957. A book favorable to Graham says this, quote, But about the same time he took the first steps to find Christianity today, Billy dashed these hopes and severed whatever threads of unity remain between the new evangelicals and old fundamentalists by accepting an invitation from the Protestant Council of the, new, new, of the City of New York, an affiliate of the Liberal National Council of Churches, to hold a crusade in Madison Square Garden during the late spring of 1957. Quote, Graham had turned down invitations to come to New York in 1951 and 1954, both times because he felt the group offering the invitation was too heavily weighted with fundamentalists and therefore did not represent the broad spectrum of the city's Protestant churches. The Protestant Council represented 1,700 churches, 94% of all Protestant bodies in the metropolitan area. In fact, the idea received strong support for some wealthy and influential constituents, including Chase Manhattan Bank Chairman George Champion, a Southern evangelical layman who chaired the Council's Department of Evangelism. Evangelism, evangelism, and Mrs. Cleveland Dodge, as well as some of the city's leading clergymen, including Norman Vincent Peale. It should be noted that Cleveland Dodge was a director of Rockefeller's National City Bank in New York. About a decade later, January 31, 1945, John D. Rockefeller had addressed the Protestant Council. Graham received Rockefeller's money. Remember, too, Graham received $75,000 from John D. Rockefeller, Jr. for this 1957 crusade. This funding came from Rockefeller around the same time as Rockefeller's funding to Planned Parenthood, which he started financing in 1952. Graham sure must have appreciated this invitation from the Protestant councils because after the 1957 New York City Crusade, he... Graham gave $67,618 to the Protestant Council of New York. Hold on one minute, I got a phone call.
Okay, I'm sorry, I'm back. <laughs> Let's see now. Protestant Council of New York City, an affiliate of the Apostate NCC. Just a few years later, at the New York World's Fair, the same Protestant Council showed a picture entitled The Parable. <clears throat> it portrayed Jesus as a clown. For those of you who have supported Graham in the past, are you happy with how he has spent your money? Do you want your donation being given to liberal organizations like the Protestant Council? Graham have gave the check to the president of this group, Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. He was a member of the National Council of Churches, which will be covered in the next chapter. He was also an outstanding liberal and a promoter of left-wing projects. Taylor was one of the sponsors of the Emergency Civil Liberties Committee, which was launched in 1951 by the Communist Party and was the most active communist organization in the United States at that time. One researcher tells us more about Taylor, quote, but there is an even more fantastic incident in the recent career of the Reverend Dr. Gardner Calvin Taylor. The incident took place in the Concord Baptist Church of Brooklyn, of which Mr. Taylor is pastor. The funeral service of one of his country's most prominent communist leaders was held in that church with its pastor, the Reverend Dr. Taylor, delivering this fi the funeral sermon. Dr. Taylor was reported to have paid homage to this outstanding communist leader as one who dared to dream and work for the new world every good person desires. The deceased Communist Party leader, who was the subject of this high praise from the head of New York City's Protestant Council, was Edward E. Strong. Quote, the National Committee of the Communist Party, USA, issued an official statement on the death of Edward E. Strong, which reads in part as follows. Returning from his service in World War II, Ed Strong became a leader of the Communist Party. As a member of its National Committee, as chairman of the Eastern Pennsylvania District, as Southern Regional Secretary, he enriched the party with high quality of leadership, which had won the admiration and respect of scores of thousands in the youth movement. Above all, he was a man of sterling personal character. He was a fitting prototype of the new Communist man. That was the official eulogy of the Communist Party, USA. And to that eulogy, the Protestant leadership of New York City added that he was one who dared to dream and work for the new world. Since Taylor can utilize, eulogize, eulogize, eulogize a communist, it shouldn't come as a surprise that he is on the board of directors of the Interfaith Alliance. This group brags that one of their main goals is to provide people of faith with an alternative voice to that of the radical religious right. Remember, Taylor is the man to whom Graham gave over $67,000 in 1957. George Champion. As previously mentioned, George Champion was also one of those who was instrumental in helping with this crusade. Listen to Pilly Graham's explanation of how he received the notice from Champion. Quote, Taking a brief break from the June 1955 Paris Crusade, Grady Wilson and I were playing a few holes of golf on a course near uh, Vercelli's. He looked at his watch. We were running late for a meeting back in Paris, so we cut our game short, hurried back to the locker room, and changed our clothes. As we were running 
Now let's see. And changed our clothes. As we were running out to the car, I heard someone calling my name. Dr. Graham, I heard you on television last night, he said. And my wife and I were very interested. I'm playing golf and would have only two in our party. Would you and your friend like to join us? Sir, I would like to very much, I replied. It was the Duke of Windsor. But unfortunately, I have a commitment in town, I added. Let me call to see if I can get it postponed. When I called Bob Evans, I discovered that my commitment could not be changed. As I went back to apologize to the Duke, someone handed me a cable that apparently had been forwarded to the golf club. It was George Champion, vice president of the Chase Manhattan Bank, who headed the evangelist department of the Protestant Council of New York. The council had voted to extend an invitation to us to hold a crusade in New York during the summer of 1957. I think an obituary notice gives some interesting information about Champion. Quote, a commercial banker for 40 years, he retired as chairman of the board of the Chase Manhattan Bank in 1969. At about that time, he had been president of the Protestant Council of the City of, the New, of New York. Treasurer of the United Negro College Fund, a trustee of the Independent College Funds of America, board member of the Fed Freedom Foundation in Valley Forge, and co-founder of the Darthman College Review. In 1969, he became the president of the Economic Development Council of New York City. As president and later chairman of the Chase Bank, he won a reputation as probably the nation's foremost authority on lending practices and money market operations. Chase Bank was, in the 60s and is still today, the largest commercial bank in the United States. George Champion was one of the nation's greatest bankers, unquote. This obituary goes on to say that he personally organized the Reverend Billy Graham's first major Manhattan crusade, unquote. Champion is reported to be a member of the super-secret Illuminati group called the Pilgrim Society, as well as one of the honorary board of directors for the Thomas Jefferson Research Center, TJRC, and is listed as the Jefferson Associate for the Jefferson Center for Character Education. TJRC's name was changed to Thomas Jefferson Center in 1989. This organization is a New Age group and has been listed as a resource in a number of New Age globalist directories. It has produced, quote, character education material that suggests the use of the infamous lottery story, and which will emphasize Abraham Maslow's father of humanistic third force of psychology, hierarchy of needs towards self actualization. The materials reference resources include New Age networkers, Gene Houston and Jack Canfield. The center is listed by Maslow in his Episcopalian network and as a member and cooperating organization in Unity in Diversity Councils, Director for Directory, I'm sorry, Directory for a New World, which lists groups and individuals fostering the emergence of a new universal person in a global citizen civilization, unquote. The teacher's guide for the TJRC utilizes guided fantasy, guided imagery, self-hypnosis, breathing, and relaxation exercises in stress management.
Remember, the same man, George Champion, that promoted this New Age propaganda through his association with TJRC, also supported Billy Graham's crusade. Recall, too, that the Chase Manhattan Bank is a Rockefeller-controlled enterprise. Ralph Sockman. Dr. Ralph W. Sockman, a Methodist, was twice president of the same Protestant council that Champion once headed. By the way, Sockman was also a graduate of Union Theological Seminary. When asked if the Methodists believed in heaven and hell, Sockman replied, quote, The concepts of heaven and hell vary widely. According to the educational and religious background of the believers, some have very concrete ideas of golden streets of heaven and fiery furnaces in hell, but the majority of Methodists are emancipated from the pre-scientific view of a physical heaven up there and a physical hell down there. They trust the promise of Christ, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is the realm of mind and spirit, where the redeemed keep company with God and his risen son, Jesus Christ. Hell is the state where such fellowship is absent, unquote. Notice carefully that Sockman only referred to hell as a state and not a place. Accordingly, heaven is only the realm of mind and spirit. Notice also that Sockman claims today's Methodists are now emancipated, freed, liberated, loosed from the pre-scientific view of a physical heaven and hell. The Bible, however, does teach a physical heaven. Jesus explained in John fourteen two through 3 In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Likewise, hell is a real place. Jesus cautioned us in Luke twelve five. But I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath. Let's see. Let me go back. Which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Luke also tells the story of the rich man who died and went to hell, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And that's in Luke chapter 16, verse 23. Heaven and hell are not states of mind, but are real places, and each one of us will spend eternity in one of these two places. We need to prepare now by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, if we intend to spend eternity in heaven. For a more thorough explanation of the biblical doctrine of hell, see my book, A Scriptural View of Hell. Graham's Godly Men Quote Remember that Sockman, who denied a literal heaven and hell, was on the committee to celebrate communist Harry Ward's 90th birthday. Sockman's 
quote, Communist Front Associations have been the American Youth Congress, the Emergency Peace Mobilization, Board Chairman of the Inner Church Committee of the American Russian Institute, the Methodist Federation for Social Action, greetings sent on the occasion of the 31st anniversary of the Russian Revolution, Communists, under auspices of the National Council of American Soviet Friendship and World Youth Conference. Sponsor, unquote. Does any of this seem to bother Billy Graham? Apparently not, because Sockman and Henry Van Dusen, covered earlier in this chapter, were among those who served on Graham's crusade committees. Additionally, Graham referred to Sockman and Jesse Bader as godly men. Bader was secretary of the National Council of Churches and the director of evangelism for the NCC. He was also a Mason. Graham said that Bader was one of his very close advisors and friends, and he would seek advice from Bader. Another of Graham's friends is Tom Allen. He is a socialist from Scotland who said that Billy Graham has one of the most acute and social consciences of any man I have ever met. Billy Graham himself explains, quote, A few years later, after we began publication of Christianity Today, we became involved in two magazines in Britain. I heard that the Church of England newspaper, which leaned toward the evangelical point of view, was going to close because of a lack of finances. It was a stock company, and I heard, and I asked Jerry Bevin to see if he, acting on my behalf, could purchase the majority stock. He did so. My plan was to sell it to a group of evangelicals or to a wealthy evangelical businessman. We didn't publicize our involvement, and later Sir Alfred Owen took over our interest. We then purchased a struggling magazine in Great Britain called The Christian. Our goal was to make it similar to Christianity Today. It had been started in a previous century and covered extensively Dwight L. Moody's ministry in Britain. By 1962, it was on the point of being closed by its owners. The publishers, Marshall, Morgan, and Scott, Tom Allen, our friend from Glasgow, briefly came on as editor and also manager of our London office. But soon he suffered a heart attack from which he never recovered." Unquote. Not only was the socialist Graham's friend, but he was editor of one of Graham's magazines, and he also managed Graham's office in London. Interesting. A few pages later in Graham's autobiography, we find, quote, Most days began to follow a routine pattern. I often spoke three or four times a day, in addition to the crusade service in the evening, perhaps a luncheon with business leaders, a visit to a university, a meeting at the United Nations, a gathering in someone's home designed to reach out to neighbors or friends with the gospel, a tour at the Bowery with its tragic clusters of men whose lives have been wrecked by alcohol, since New York also hosted scores of conventions, I often was invited to speak to them. Opportunities seemed limitless, and our team, augmented by a number of well-known ministers, including Paul Rees, Tom Allen, and Samuel Shoemaker, spoke in almost every kind of situation." Unquote. 
Samuel Shoemaker. The previous sentence brings up another name that should be briefly noted, Sam Shoemaker. Shoemaker was at one time the pastor of the Calvary Church in New York, an Oxford group member and the founder of the group Faith at Work. According to the Greenwood Encyclopedia of American Institutions, Social Service Organizations, we find that alcoholics, homeless men, and other deviants, including Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholic Anonymous, AA, would go to the Calvary Church's mission to hear lectures on spiritualism. In 1958, Williams Willison even wrote to Shoemaker about occultic practices, bragging, quote, Throughout AA, we find a large amount of psychic phenomena, nearly all of it spontaneous. Alcoholic after alcoholic tells me of such experiences and asks if these denote lunacy or do they have real meaning. These psychic experiences have run nearly the full gamut of everything we see in the books. In addition to my original mystical experience, I've had a lot of such phenomenalism myself, unquote. Of course, that's not all. Shoemaker was also involved, along with Bill Wilson, in LSD experimentation. From AA's own book, we read, Quote, he, Bill Wilson, invited many of his closest associates to join him in the experience. Those invited included Father Dowling, who accepted, Dr. Jack Norris, who did not, and Sam Shoemaker. Bill reported to Shoemaker, you will be highly interested to know that Father Ed Dowling attended one of our LSD sessions while he was here recently. On that day, the material was given to one of the Duke's pre Cognition researchers, a man now located in New York. The result was a most magnificent positive spiritual experience. Father Ed declared himself utterly convinced of its validity and volunteered to take LSD himself. Unquote. To learn more about Alcoholics Anonymous and the occultic connection, see my book, Alcoholics Anonymous Unmasked. So here we find we have a man, Sam Shoemaker, who was openly taking LSD with others and giving lectures on spiritualism. Yet Billy Graham was using him, along with a socialist, Tom Allen, as two of his speakers. When Shoemaker died, Graham stated, I doubt that any man in our generation has made a greater impact for God on the Christian world than did Sam Shoemaker. Unquote. John C. Bennett Another president and professor of Union Theological Seminary, 1964 to 1971, was John C. Bennett. Bennett had an extensive record of espousal of Marxist causes while president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and has long printed a host of anti-American and socialistic causes in its pages by familiar advocates of and participants in such causes. Even before becoming president of Union Theological Cemetery, a seminary, UTS, Bennett was known for his support of communism and fascism. For instance, in 1935, Bennett praised fascism for its constructive value in a stage of the development of a new economic order, unquote. 
Quote, John C. Bennett is the author of several books which discuss communism favorably, including When Christians Make Political Decisions, which is a resource book specified by the new curriculum for youth of the Church of Jesus Christ. Appearing on the David Susking television program, Open In, December 10, 1961, Dr. Bennett said that the church should not fight communism. In 1955, he was an initiator of a petition seeking amnesty for communist party leaders who were convinced under, convicted, I should say, under the Smith Act, unquote. In his book, Foreign Policy and Christian Perspective, written in 1966, he stated, quote, Communism has proved to be an instrument by which this nation has been united. Say what you will about the cost of the revolution. The cost of allowing old social conditions to go unchanged needs to be weighed over against it. Communism needs to be seen as the instrument of modernization, of national unity, of greater social welfare. The brainwashing, the cruel dealing with the opposition, and the political totalitarianism are the cost. At this stage, it is not for us to say whether we would or would not choose the effects of this cost. Unquote. Writing in Theology Today, Bennett asked, quote, Why must they conclude that there is a conflict between Christianity and communism? Certainly, we cannot find a difficulty in the communist economic system or in the communist social goals. There is much overlapping between communist goals and Christian goals. I do not believe that American Christians could condemn communism because of its belief that revolution, even violent revolution, is sometimes necessary, unquote. While he was a professor at UTS in 1952, he wrote, Communism wins power because it has much truth in its teachings. As he, the Christian, studies communism, he finds many things to approve in it. In 1959, he remarked, Unquote. Today, I am convinced that our country is handicapped by the fact that there has been so little of the socialist impulse in our tradition. Unquote. These quotes by Bennett had appeared in issues of the liberal Christian century. The Christian century had originally been called Christian Oracle. Quote, eight years after the magazine had become the Christian century, it would have died had not a young disciple of Christ, pastor named Charles Clayton Morris, picked up its $1,500 mortgage. Morrison, who had studied philosophy under John Dewey at the University of Chicago, then became its editor. He made it an undenominational organ in 1916 and guided it until his retirement in 1948. Of course, the Christian century, quote, has been a strong supporter of the United Nations and world government. The 18th, April 16, 1947, issue said the UN cannot hope to survive on any lesser terms than as an actual world government. The January 14, 1948 issue stated, We believe that the crisis of humanity depends, demands that the churches shall once again declare their faith in the world government and shall throw themselves with all the resources they can command into the crusade to set up such a government, unquote. Christian Century also supported the communist dictator 
Fidel Castro. Since the Christian century and Bennett had so much in common, it's no wonder that the Christian century could brag that John C. Bennett gave a strong endorsement of our magazine. More UTS connections. A Unitarian, Dr. Holland Lee Hendricks, was installed as a president of Union Theological Seminary in 1991. Hendricks believes that Union and other seminaries need to work for global environmental awareness and to bring about world peace. Another Unitarian Universalist is F. Forrester Church. He sits on the board of UTS. His name was in the news frequently about a decade ago when he admitted that he was having an adulterous affair with one of his parishioners and he was planning to marry her. His church, the Unitarian Church of All Souls, voted 372 to 136 to retain him. Quote, former Catholic priest, Reverend Matthew Fox, a popular speaker on the New Age circuit, Sally McFogg, an environmentalist and feminist, and Dr. Ismar Shorash, the chancellor of the Jewish Theological Seminary, with speakers at the Union Day exercises held at James Chapel on the UTS campus. After the lectures, a carnival, Festival of Creation, was held with worshippers meditating to a strumming of dulcimer and pouring libations to the ancestors, unquote. Professor Douglas John Hall has written books in which he denies such doctrines as the vicarious satisfaction and resurrection of Jesus Christ, unquote. Quote again, the idea of a God who substitutes his innocent son for an interdeterminate number of guilty men and women is literally a fantastic notion. Not only does it present the spectacle of a deity that only sadomasochists could lead to appreciate, as Aberlin already felt, but it offers as salvation an act of transfer that is physically and rationally already most impossible for the modern mind to grasp writes Douglas John Hall in The Profession, the Faith, Christian Theology in a North American Context, unquote. In a more recent book, Hall wrote, Communism itself, contrary to the criticism of capitalist-inspired forms of Christendom, was not a bad vision. Oh, quote, Hall received his Th.D. from Union Theological Seminary in New York City in 1960 and serves as professor of Christian theology at McGill University in Montreal. He is an ordained minister of the United Church of Canada. And I'm going to stop it there for part two. And I will continue with part three later on. And that is entitled, God is Dead. Brothers and sisters, while we have the internet at our fingertips, search these things out. Before you search, though, take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to lead you and guide you because there's much, much false information out there today. Things from the past is being rewritten. They are erasing history and adding in what they want you to believe. But the Lord knows that the truth is out there and he will lead you to it so you will know, understand it, and hold firm to it. Seek him. Seek his face. I love you all so very much. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your nose in the book, which is the word of God. 
and embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts so you will not sin against God and you will not be deceived. Be blessed.